0: You guys doing all right this morning? Somebody asked me this morning, said, uh, you do have your notes, don't you? I said, yeah, they're up front. I said, I have to have notes, because if I don't, I'll say something that I mean to say, but I shouldn't. You know how that works. You got to be careful. Um, I had a good week this past week. My mom and dad came to see me, and I always love to get to spend time with them. As I get older and they get older, I enjoy spending time with them. Uh, and daddy, my daddy comes over, and we go to the coin club. That's our love language. You know, collecting coins. We've been doing that since I was little. He did it with me, and so we're still doing that. My mom, she just likes to come to go to the thrift stores. And so she goes over to Goodwill, comes back, and Daddy said, did you find anything good? She said, well, I got a book. Well, she got two boxes of books. Uh, My mom's an avid reader. Do we have people that read a lot in here? A couple of people? All right. You know, I heard it said that I don't read because I'm smart. I'm smart because I read, right? Um, so some of y'all need to read a little bit. Uh, it's good for you. How many of you guys have ever read a book called Good to Great? Most people in the business world know it very well. It's a book by Jim Collins. Uh, it's a, a book that he wrote about companies. And he took a study and looked at some companies that were good companies, and they had made some transitions to become great companies. So he gets this list of companies that are good companies, or are making money, They're profitable. They've got a a, a good share of the market where they're at, but they don't stay there. What they do is they start making changes that on the surface you think doesn't make a lot of sense because these companies already make money. They start making some changes and start changing some things and stopping doing some things and stepping out and reaching out. And before you know it, those companies go from good companies to great companies, profitable companies to where they're three times, sometimes ten times as profitable as they were. But there was also that set of companies that they had that decided, hey, we're a good company. We're not going to do anything to, to, to mess that up. I don't want to mess up what we're doing because it's working. We're making money. And so they don't change, and they don't quit doing some things that they probably should, and they don't stretch themselves. And they look at those companies years down the line, and those companies, most of them, aren't even existing anymore. They, they dried up. At best, they just stayed a good company. And in his book, Walgreens was one of those companies. Walgreens decided it was going to take the the market on the corner uh, lot, which at the time people were saying this doesn't make sense because Walgreens would move a half a block. They would have a store a half a block away from a corner lot, and they would pay off a million-dollar lease just to move a half a block to the corner because the reasoning was if we move to this corner lot, then the customers will have better access to us. And so it paid off for them. They, they went from a good company to a great company. Um, Collins says this, and I love this quote. He said, good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that become great. We don't have great schools principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it's so easy to settle for a good life. Let me say that again. Few people attain great lives, in large part because it's so easy to settle for a good life. You know, and as I was reading this book about business, it's funny because I started thinking about myself. And I thought, man, as hard as I try to put God at the center of everything that I do, self will just dominate the leadership role, and sabotage all my plans and my goals. And and I want to, listen, I'm a good husband, but I want to be a great husband. I'm a a good dad, but I want to be a great dad. I'm a good friend. I'm a good son. I have a good faith, but I want to have a great faith. And and I, I don't want to be one of those people that sits and refuses to move and refuses to do anything about it because I'm just comfortable and I've settled for a good life. And listen, I don't think I'm alone in this. I have conversations every week with people that I hear this from. Um, People that say, listen, I've I've got a good marriage. But you know, I don't have one of those marriages where we sit down and we pray together and we read the Bible together and we go on mission together. I've got a good family. I'm raising kids, but... I don't spend the time with my kids like I should. I don't sit down and just ask them, hey, what's on your heart? And here's, what's, here's what we want to do as a family to be on mission for God and take them and go do something with them that serves other people. People say, I've got a good job. But they have yet to take the gospel and make that job their mission field. It's just about making money. Over and over, I hear people say, hey, I've got a good faith go to church I'm a very moral person but I just don't have a great faith in God I don't have a great relationship with God you know and I thought you know a Walgreens a company like that that can move uh, a huge company can go from good to great can can the church can we as a church go from a good church to a great church see First Baptist Church I, I think in a lot of ways is a good church right? Do you agree with that? It's a good church. But, but, but can we see First Baptist reach its full kingdom and redemptive potential? Can we see that First Baptist move in such a way to where people are coming to know Christ every week, to we're baptizing over 100 people every year, to where the very culture of Rock Hill is being changed by the people of First Baptist going out into the community and serving and loving people in such a way that it changes the very culture of Rock Hill to the point to where if you took First Baptist and you closed its doors tomorrow, the whole community would mourn because of what we've stood for and how we've impacted them. Can First Baptist do that? Jesus said in Luke 19, 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept. Jesus is walking, and he's got a big shot where he's looking over Jerusalem, and he's weeping. Why is he weeping? It's because the heart of God was moved, because he saw people without a Savior. He saw sheep without a shepherd, and as he looked over that city, he wept for it. And see, if we want to reach our full redemptive potential, we've got to pursue what's close to the heart of God. And what's close to the heart of God is people who are without a Savior. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Let me say that again, because sometimes I I don't think that fully hit me until I really, really read it. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Have you ever wondered why Jesus came to this earth? Well, he came because close to the heart of God is when he looks over this world, he he sees people who need a Savior. And if we're going to align our heart with the heart of God, then we have got to get that in our heart as well. We've got to learn to love other people in such a way that we want to see them have a Savior. We need to pursue God, what God pursues above all us. Because listen, that is our great. That is our great. No matter what we do as a church... All the programs, all the things that we can do, you can go on trips, you can have meals, you can have everything that you want to have, but our great is when we pursue what God pursues. People that are far from him. When we pursue it. So that's the only way our church can reach its full podenti- uh, redemptive potential is if we have, as individuals reach ours. Because the truth, the church is just made up of a bunch of individuals. It's made up of individuals that have to go out into the world and they have to seek those people that are lost and show them a Savior that can save them. God said this. Jesus said it in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Listen, he said you are the light of the world. The you there is emphatic. He says, "You." It's like saying you are the only light of the world. You are the only light of the world. There is no plan B with God. There's no plan B. You're it. You are the light of the world. You are the one that's here to make the difference. You are the one that's here to to be the to, to go out into the world and to be ambassador for, for God and for Jesus and to do exactly what he had come to do to seek and save that which was lost. You are the light of the world. And it's just who you are. It should be a part of your DNA. I love this story. Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president of the United States, told a story about being in a barbershop. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerfully personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut, and he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They didn't know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. We're talking about a barber chair, guys. We're talking about somebody getting a haircut. See, you are the light of the world. Jesus is talking about the influence of his people on the world for God and good. He's talking about the influence that you have on everybody that you come in contact with. And I'm talking about whether it's in a barber chair, I'm talking about whether it's in a grocery store, I'm talking about when you get in the car with somebody, when you sit in a cubicle across from somebody, the influence that you have over those people as the light of Christ. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. We're not to reflect the world, we're to influence the world. We're to be in it but not of it. Not allowing the world to take over our purpose of our life and the goals of our life. The things of our life lose their kingdom purpose when they align too closely to the world's definition of success. They lose their purpose. They lose their kingdom purpose. See, see, some of us know this. See, I'm I'm preaching to to, to a crowd here that understands what I'm talking about. We understand we're supposed to be on mission for the Lord. We understand that we're supposed to love what God's heart loves. We know that people are lost and need a Savior, and it's our job to influence them and to be there to share that with them. But too many times... We have a good faith, and we've settled for good faith, and we don't step out, and we don't risk it. You know why? Because it's just so comfortable right here in the good. We are to allow our, we, we're not supposed to let our light get dimmed by the world. Jesus said this in verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. The purpose of it is not to light it and then to kind of shine and hide it here and there and not let it shine in places. No, it's supposed to sit on a stand so it illuminates the whole house. Now, I want to step back real quick just as the youth pastor step out over here for a minute and say, listen, if you have children in your house, the first light that you are supposed to shine is in your home. The very first light that you're supposed to shine is to those children and those people that are growing up with you. And you're supposed to teach them and guide them and show them the way of the Lord. You're supposed to take your children and teach them what it means to be a disciple, what it means to go on mission, and and take them and go and let them see you sharing the gospel. Let them go see you serving homeless people. Let them see you doing those things that you're supposed to do as a believer. We've study after study has been done to show that kids grow up and they won't have any more of a faith than their parents. As a matter of fact, statistics tell us that children tend to have a little less commitment than their parents did. So if you if you're not shining the light in your house, and God is not the the at the utmost, and not your your life, if your light's not shining, if you spend a lot of time not shining your light, then your children probably aren't going to do that either. Key. And I thought this would be a great thing. What 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 would happen if you pulled up? You had your child in the car with you, and you pulled up somewhere, and when your child got out of the car, it was as if they had just left a worship service. It was as if they had just stepped out of a worship service because they had been so influenced by the light that you're shining, but you've been so intentional about shining your light to your children that you've had a conversation with them that's evangelistic, that's about God and not about stuff that doesn't matter. God has changed us from our own darkness to be his agents of giving light. By definition, an influence must be different from that which it influences. And Christians, therefore, must be different from the world they are called to influence. We cannot influence the world if we are worldly ourselves. We can't influence on purity if we have compromised purity. We have to be different from the world in order to influence the world. There was a young guy. And he started his singing career, and he was doing incredible. Just everybody loved him. Everybody loved his music. I'm a little bit fond of him uh, because my daughter, one of my favorite videos of my daughter, Belle, is her laying in the floor of the playroom, and I'm videotaping her, and she's singing, baby, 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 oh. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you. Justin Bieber, you're not a believer. I'm a believer. Um. But Justin came on as a young man, and he had Christian parents who had raised him, and you know what, and he came on talking about Jesus as his Savior and his Lord, and then the world just chewed him up and spit him out, just chewed him up and spit him out. And what intrigues me about him is I see this young man in this struggle for his spiritual life. One, One week, he'll come out, and he'll say, I'm in rehab, and I'm trying to get straight because Jesus is everything to me and then the next week he's getting arrested for drugs. And so when the world looks at this young man who started off as an influence for Christ and and he became too much like the world and now when people see him and he says something about Jesus they roll their eyes. He's lost his influence for the gospel. And when we align ourselves too closely to the world that's what happens. We lose our influence. The very thing that we need to do the task that God has asked us to do. Our life is a reflection. If our life is a reflection of every other life around us, then we're not going to influence them for Christ. We're not going to do it. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good deeds and great influence isn't to bring attention to ourselves, but to God. Sometimes we get that mixed up. The way we live should point others to Jesus. So the question is, what in your life points others to Jesus? What in your life contradicts the very claim that you have of being a Christian? What is contradictory? Have you aligned yourself too closely to the world? When you sit in the barber chair and you get up and leave, does anybody think about God at all? Do they even does their mind even think about Jesus? Or are you just another person that got their haircut and now they're on their way? And listen, I I hesitated to do this. As a matter of fact, I've got a question mark on this in my notes about even doing this because I was a little hesitant. Honestly, I've been guilty of this myself. I've said these words. But when Jesus says, Listen, let your light shine before others, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I hear this a lot, okay? A lot. Like I said, I've said it myself. Is that we have these words, we say, Well, you know, I'm not really good at sharing Jesus with words. So what I do is I try to live my life in such a way that, you know, everybody can just see Jesus in me. That's not that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is that the words that you say are matched by the life that you live. The words that you speak about Jesus is is backed up by the life that you're living don't fall into this lie of thinking I'm just going to live a good Christian life and everybody around me can get saved because there's only one thing that people can get saved through is that's Jesus Christ and it's by that name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and you can live your life and be a good person in front of somebody and you know what they'll die and go to hell thinking my neighbor was a good person and never know the Jesus that you claim to be the light of. So don't fall into that trap. It is a trap, and it just keeps us from using the words that God gave us to preach Christ and Him crucified, to talk to people about Jesus. We are to be influencers on the world, and we need to move our faith from good to great. Where have you settled for good and failed to be an influence? Um, And what do you do about it? So I'm, I'm reading this book, Good to Great, and one of the very first things that he has on there that companies need to do to go to move from good to great is he says they need to confront the brutal facts, confront the brutal facts, the willingness to identify and assess defining facts in your life and how they connect with your purpose. He, he said, you got to be brutally honest about how you're doing with the Lord you got to be brutally honest with, with how you're walking with Jesus. Now, he's talking about businesses, but when I read it, that's what I saw. I, I saw all these things. All these questions came into my mind: Am I being a witness for Jesus? Uh, am I being different from the world that I live in? Can the world look at my life and my life and recognize the God that I worship? Is my life backing up the words that I'm saying? Number one, am I even saying the words? Am I telling people about Jesus? Is my life even backing that up? And I do, which Pastor Steve has told us, has preached this to you guys. Some of you may do it, but, but I'm going to tell you that there, there's no way to get around this. If you're going to be honest about your inner spiritual journey, if you're going to look deep within your heart and know what's going on, then you're going to have to evaluate. You're going to have to. And so what you do is that you need to get away. I don't care if it's 30 minutes. I don't know if you sit at your table when everybody else is in the bed or you go to Starbucks and get 30 minutes, or however you want to do it. If you if you got a lake house, that's great. Go sit at the lake house, whatever you got. But listen, you need to sit down with a Bible and a piece of paper and a pen and say, God, how am I doing? And you need to take notes. I think about the times that I go. I said I try to do this pretty regularly, and and one of mine is he's not in here, but I have a son, and one of the things I try to Okay, my relationship with God. How am I doing with you? How am I being a witness? How am I growing in my faith? What's some things that I've got to stop doing that I'm doing that's hurting my witness? What are some things I need to start doing? Who are the people I need to reach? Uh, I get to, you know, family. Here's my son. Am I raising my son the way I should? Am I showing him how to be a godly man? Am I teaching him what it means to pray? Am I showing him how to read the Bible for himself and so that he can understand what it means? And he can live it? Am I challenging him to step out in his faith and and share the gospel with his people at his school? How am I doing just as a dad? Listen, guys, we need to do that. You need to do that. You need to evaluate. You need to get brutal and, and, I mean, confront the, the brutal facts about how you're doing. And I like what John Maxwell says. Forget about your credentials and your reputation when you do this. Forget about your credentials. Oh, yeah, you've been to seminary, David. You've been a pastor for, for uh, 20-something years. All that. i got to throw all that away, and it's just me and God. And I, I don't want to worry about my reputation because that's just me comparing myself to others. So just get between you and God, and you just evaluate where you are. Evaluate where you are. And then he talks about two different things in his book that really hit, touched me. One of them was the flywheel principle. The flywheel principle. Simple, but he says by making decisions and taking actions that reinforce and affirm the path you want to take, it creates positive momentum. And then it and then the more you do it, it gets more momentum and you get more wins. And and we have a tractor tire in our backyard. It's about this tall. Tim Gillette got it for me, about this wide. And we stand it up. I got that because my son wanted to get stronger, you know, but I didn't want to throw him in a weight room as a middle schooler and see him get hurt. So I thought, you know, I'll do what we did on the farm. I'll buy him a big tractor tire and make him roll it around the yard. It's good for him. aerates my yard a little bit, you know, gets him to working. Um, but when you stand that thing up and you start pushing it, it takes a lot of strength just to get it to go, start going. And so he strains and he strains on that tire. And before long, it starts moving a little bit. And he keeps pushing and pushing. And it moves a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, gravity starts catching up and, He's got to keep pushing to keep it rolling, but the faster he rolls it, he doesn't have to push quite as hard because that momentum helps him. And that's what he's saying. He says, listen, you start with a small step and you work on it, and you'll gain some momentum in that area. And here's the truth that I know. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years or you just became a Christian last week. There's a step that you can take in your faith. I don't know what your next step is. I don't know where the area is that you've settled for good in your relationship with God that you need to move to great. I don't know if it's in your marriage. I don't know if it's with your children, with your grandchildren, with sharing the gospel. I I don't know what the next step is for you, but I guarantee you everybody in here has a next step they need to do. There is a place in your life where you need to gain some momentum to move towards having a great relationship with God and and doing what God has left us to task to do is to shine our light. And then there's... There's the flywheel principle, the whole idea of getting momentum and then there's the doom loop. The doom loop. It's characterized by by a failure to follow through and to constantly return to the path of least resistance. That sounds like a diet, don't it? (laughs) So donuts, real easy. They're not heavy. I can pick that thing up, but if I go lift weights at the gym, that's heavy and I sweat and I get tired. Donuts never make me tired. You pick it up, you eat it, get sugar, you get more energy, you pick up more donuts. I mean, path of least resistance, right? But that's that doom loop we get in. That's where some of us have been sitting for years and years and that we know there's something we need to do about our faith, but we refuse to do anything about it just because it's just easy to settle for a good life. It's easy just to sit here and go to Sunday school and go to church and do a couple of meetings and not tell anybody about Jesus. We get in this loop of not doing what God has called us to do. Get comfortable. What if this church refused to be just a good ministry? What if this church, full of people, refused just to be good followers of Jesus and to be great? Every member taking serious being the light of the world. Serving the community in such a way that it recognized the God that we serve. Changing the very culture of the community we serve in. Using their influence to reach those who are far from God. And we need to pursue what God pursues. We need to have our heart moved by what moves the heart of God, and that's people who need a Savior. Some of us need to weep over Rock Hill a little bit. And listen, next Sunday is a great example. Next Sunday is an opportunity. As a church and as a staff, sometimes we do things just to encourage, just to challenge, just to push people uh, out of their comfort zones a little bit. So next Sunday we're having the end one to where we're asking you to go out and bring somebody with you. I mean, look around the empty seats. There shouldn't be any next Sunday. You know why? Because you should take serious being the light of Christ and going out and finding somebody that's far from God and bringing them to sit next to you. Great opportunity. Take advantage of it, guys. And they're going to come and they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear about Jesus Christ, the thing that they need in their life more than anything else, a Savior. But I want to go back real quick to just being the light, okay, the light of Christ and what it means to influence. And sometimes it's the small things that we can do in our day-to-day that make huge impact. I've got a video I want you to watch. What it is, it's a video of a guy that comes into uh, a, a mall to the fast food court, uh, to the food court, orders some food and sit down, and the guy that brings the food to the guy realizes something when he gets to the table, and I want you to watch See, sometimes it's it's the little things. And listen, this guy realized this guy could not feed himself. And so he sat down, he said just throwing his food down and going. He fed the guy. And it impacted those around him. People were videotaping it. I mean, it's on the video on internet three or four different ways where different people were videotaping this. They were so overwhelmed by the fact that this guy would sit down and feed a guy that came in and to get food. And so listen, being the light of the world sometimes is about loving people and serving them. Sometimes it's the little things that we do in life where we're willing to sit down and help whoever needs help. But make no mistake. They need Jesus. This guy needed help being fed, but also, you know what he needs? He needs a Savior. So we need to do both of those. We need to love and serve our community, but we also don't need to miss the point that they need Jesus as their Lord and Savior.